You are joining Making a Difference with Melissa Clark, a new show that shares the compelling stories and voices of well-known and everyday people who change the world in big and small ways. Enjoy our guests. Call in or just listen to be inspired for this show was made with you in mind. Please join us every Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with our special guests. And you can listen to our recast at www.melissaclarkshow.com. Thank you for joining us on Making a Difference. I'm Melissa Billy Clark. We sat down with longtime radio host, author, and developmental psychologist, Dr. Cooper Lawrence, to discuss the ins and outs in the world of celebrity politics. Her new book, Celebritocracy, examines why we think celebrities are experts selling products and how they are making money off of us. This is a two-parter, so please stay tuned after my interview with Dr. Cooper as we edit an outspoken celebrity to the mix. Check it out. Dr. Cooper Lawrence, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm thrilled. <laughs> I love being here with you. You know, I've always said, I'm going to embarrass you for a second, but I've always said that you are one of the best interviewers I have ever seen. And I have been interviewed by, I mean, I used to be on Bill O'Reilly regularly. I used to be on Tyra all the time. And I'm t I know good interviewers. You are one of the best. So I'm so grateful to be here. And I'm, I'm so anxious to hear what you have to ask me. I'm so excited. And I want to take a moment. I just want to thank you. I thank Jackie, the joke man, Martling. Uh, I've known him for years and years and you and I just recently met a couple of years ago and uh, you told me that and for someone of your uh, status I want to thank you and uh, because of you actually I'm here too so I want to thank you so much for giving me the confidence because I didn't have it and really it doesn't yeah. show at all like you come across like you better get your stuff together because this girl's coming for you wow, I love it I love thank that about you, you. I yeah. and I yeah I mean I can't wait to get to you because you're an amazing uh, interviewer and, and reporter and uh, so I want to introduce you uh, Dr. Cooper Lawrence is a developmental psychologist Right. Uh, she uses her expertise on talk shows, morning shows. She was a regular on Tyra Banks uh, way back when. When did that show go off the air? Uh, went off the air, I want to say like 2009, I think it was, 2009, yeah. 2010. And uh, I was there for two and a half years as Tyra's relationship expert. And she was one of the best bosses I've ever had. She's just so really cool. collaborative and sweet and just, uh, she was the best. I'd work for her again in a heartbeat. That's so awesome. Uh, and you also worked for Joan Rivers too. I didn't know. I worked with Joan with her. Rivers. Okay, yeah, I was okay. the executive producer of her radio show. So we were kind of uh, a team putting the radio show together because I had the radio experience and she had the Joan Riversness. And yeah. we did a show together uh, for two years on WOR in New York. And it was, it was great. It was so much fun working with her. And she was just, every day was just a big surprise. You never knew what was coming. So it was, uh, yeah, she was terrific. And I was really sad. Um, yeah. obviously when she passed and I'm still very close with her daughter, Melissa, uh, um, Melissa named her son Cooper in case you didn't know that's that. That's right. Yeah. She loved my name. So she oh. named her son Cooper. And oh. then when I won my first Gracie award, she flew out to, it was in LA. She was in New York. She flew out to LA to present it to me. So wow. the, the Rivers family has always been so kind to me and just, I'm so sad for them that they lost Joan. I think this is six years this week. 
that we lost Joan. So yeah, yeah, but it was a wonderful time. That was a really sad way, the way she passed away. We didn't expect that because she's been through surgery so many times. Right. It was so unnecessary and just (sighs) anger inducing and I mean, I'm telling you, my favorite thing about her, let me tell you just a quick Joan Please. story. So we would get off the air. Uh, it was a two-hour radio show. We'd get off the air. She would have a limo come get us. And it was me, Joan, and like three of her writers. And we would go to like some little comedy club, some little like dump somewhere. And she would get up on stage and she would do like whatever routine she was working on, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm telling you, she worked blue. This woman was dirty. I loved her. I mean, here was this woman like in her seventies and she was like, <laughs> let me tell you about my C word, you know? And it was just, it was just, it was one of the best parts of working with her is you got up there, you sat there and you watched her on the stage and you thought she's one of the greats. I mean, really you were in the presence of greatness every time she got up there to try to work out material. Cooper is a writer. She's a host with over two decades of experience. Uh, She's an author. We're going to get to her book in a little bit. Um, She is a syndicated morning show with Cooper and Anthony. Yep. So Cooper and Anthony show. Yep. That's us. Cooper and Anthony (laughs) show. So you can go to cooperandanthony.com to find a station near you because it is syndicated. Right. And she's going to be in Preferred Health Magazine. Uh, This edition, it's coming out in October with Larry King on the cover. And Cooper and I met through Dr. Robbie Ludwig, who is the um, host of Talking Live. So thank you so much to Dr. Robbie Ludwig. She's the best. Yeah, yeah, she is. She is the best. And and you are the best too. So let's get into it. Tell us about your first radio gig and Linda Lopez. Yeah, you know, it was funny. I, uh, I didn't know anything about radio. I was actually working in the theater at the time. And I met these radio people who said, did you love this? They came to see me in a play. And I was like, what'd you think? And they said, you should be in radio. So clearly they didn't think I was a very good actor, but they, <laughs> did, they did think that I should be in radio. So they said, you know, there's a station out on Long Island um, called WLIR. And I knew it because I grew up in New York. So of course I knew LIR. And you know, they're hiring right now. You should send out a demo. So I made a demo. And I sent it in and it accidentally ended up on the desk of Linda Lopez. That's um, Jennifer Lopez's younger sister. Yeah. She was the music director at the station and it, it, it ended up in her desk because people thought that it was a music promotional thing. It was, that it was, you know, it was supposed to go to the program director because that's who does the hiring. Right. So she opened it up. She popped it in. She listened and she went right into the program director's office. She plopped it on his desk and said, hire her. Wow. And he did. He hired me. And she gave me my start in radio. And I was there for two years at WLIR. And then uh, Linda left and went to KTU. And there was yeah. an opening at Z100. So she called me and said, okay, you're done with LIR. Now you're coming to Z100. And that was it. And then she brought me to Z100. So um, she, my two main first radio jobs were 100% due to Linda Lopez. And I owe her so much. And uh, I thanked her. Last night I won a Gracie Award. Yes. And yes. in my acceptance speech, I thanked her because, you know, it's about women helping women. And here was this woman who, you know, what did, why should she help me? She didn't know me, uh, but she did. And she ended up being a real champion of mine for the whole first, I would say maybe four years of my career. And I, I don't know where I'd be without her. That's really, that's amazing when people take chances on you. Yeah, it's true. And, it, yeah. and you know, then you think, well, why would they? Um, but, you know, luckily they do. And I think it made me realize that everybody should have a mentor. Yeah. You know, and she was my mentor. I mean, I would, even though you're supposed to sit down with the program director and he listens to your stuff and tells you how you're doing, I'd sit down with her and be like, now you tell me what you really think. Cause I wanted to hear from her because she yeah. was, 
you know, she was my guide and she's so talented and so amazing. And, you know, even to this day, we're still, you know, we're still, I want to say buddies, like I haven't, we don't see each other as much anymore, sure. but I did hear from her last night and she congratulated me and said, you know, still love you. Your Gracie Awards here, for people who don't know what a Gracie Award is, it's an alliance for women in media. And how many have you received thus far? Well, my radio show has five. Wow. Um, I personally have three. And the Gracie Award is sort of like the um, Emmys for radio. So we have two oh, wow. big awards. We have the Marconis, that's like an Oscar. Yes. And then we have the Gracies, which are like the Emmys. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and, and it's a big deal to win a Gracie because you're competing against the rest of the country and literally thousands of women. So every time I win one, I'm always like, what? So every time it's like, I can't believe it. Yeah. So last night was the Gracie Awards, the 45th annual Gracie Awards. Yeah. And uh, I won another Gracie last night. And I was just, again, as usual, blown away. Like I still can't, still can't believe it. Congratulations to you. You deserve it. You're an amazing, humble woman. I just want you to know that. Um, and, you know, has your career been challenging? Like where does a woman fit inside of this industry? You know, that's a really great question. The reason is because it's still the men making all the decisions yeah. and you have to rely on the kindness of men to decide that you can make them money, you know, and they definitely make decisions differently than women do. Mm. And I have worked with female program directors and I have worked with women decision makers, but, you know, I'm in one of those industries that is still such a boys club, yeah. you know, but it comes down to, can you make us money? And my partner, Anthony Michaels, he and I have been boosting ratings and making money for stations for, you know, together for about 11 years. So wow. when you see our track record and people like, can we make money off of them? Oh, look at this. We can. So that's really what they care about. You know, you kind of hope that they also like you as a person, but you know, you're a product to them. And I've, I've come to realize that that's, that that's the case. So I, tr I try and do what I can for other women. You know, I'm always really supportive and really helpful to like the next generation. I've, I've done a lot for, I've, ha I've mentored a lot of women. Yeah. Um, one in particular that, you know, for years I worked with her and now she's an entertainment reporter for CNN. And, you know, I'd gotten her like other gigs before that and made a lot of introductions for her because she was talented and, you know, she, you need the boost. You need somebody to make yes. the introductions for you. Um, so I'm always happy to do that because I think it's important to make sure there's a new generation of women coming up behind you. Absolute, absolute. Let's talk about um, actually being an interviewer. Uh, I remember you and I were at the Dennis Basso show. It was actually last year and we had such a good time. Uh, and now we're not doing anything this fashion week. We're just watching things online. But you and I had a wonderful conversation and um, that's when you gave me the boost and I really appreciate you know your advice and, and, and your beautiful conversation compliments. But you said to me as an interviewer, there are two things. You got to make sure that you get the question out properly so everybody can understand what you're talking about. And you have to listen. Tell us about the time where you were sitting down and one of the, the DJ, he kind of bypassed what Katy Perry said. Yeah, this was amazing. You know, I, I've I like to pride myself on listening. I think this is, again, this is another woman versus man thing. You know, women yeah. are very interested in other people's lives. Like we, you know, we ask you a question, then we listen to your answer to, to ask the next question because we want to keep the conversation going. We're interested, you know, and I think once in a while I've worked with men in the past who are just, they have a, a list of questions in front of them. They ask the first one when the person stops talking and there's dead air, they ask the second one. Yeah. And I remember one time we were interviewing Katy Perry on one of the many shows I've worked on in the past. And 
the first question was asked of Katy Perry, and she gave a very provocative answer. It was something to the effect of, you know, I don't know, it was just, uh, I think it was about like somebody in the industry that she didn't want to say, but it's somebody that she really doesn't get along with and doesn't like at all. Yeah. And she doesn't like be, being associated with that person. It was something kind of really provocative. And instead of saying, hang on a minute, who is this person? And why are you like, tell us more. Like, you got to say yeah. something like, what scenario were you in? Um, the person I was working with just went on to the very next question. So your song, Firework, is it about, and it's like, wait a minute. She just said something that could get you national press. Right. You just glazed right over it and didn't listen to the fact that Katy Perry just, you know, a lot of these stars, they come in, they have a very, they're very pat answers to things. They say the same thing on every show. They get the, they get asked the same questions. Um, People like to play it safe. They don't want to rock the boat because, you know, the person that represents Katy Perry may also represent, you know, Kelly Clarkson tomorrow and you want her on the show. So you can't be nasty, you know, and you can't be provocative because then you won't get Kelly Clarkson. Right. So a lot of people in my industry, they just, they play it really safe. And uh, I've never done that because I think it's just, it's not genuine, you know, and because the listeners are, the listeners are listening, they're listening and they can hear what's going on. So you have to at least get in the mind of a listener and say, hang on a minute. That person just said something provocative. Where's the follow-up question? You know, they brought it up. I'm not the one who's asking her to dish on people in her industry. She opened the door. So if she opens the door, you got to walk through it because otherwise you're not doing your job. So do you think that's man versus woman, that the man, he's not listening to what, well, men don't listen, <laughs> some men don't listen to women, but yeah. you think if it was a woman, they'd be like, hey, wait a minute, you know, but maybe, perhaps people get nervous and they just want to go down the list of, you know, no, what they're- these were these are experienced people that I was working with wow. who've been doing this for a long, long, long time. There was no reason why. No, I think, you know, I think it is a man versus woman thing. I think the way women listen and the way women talk to each other are very different than the way men do. I mean, can I just throw out one more name? Because this is a really good example. Please, yeah. Um, So we were interviewing Lady Gaga. And as we were interviewing her, I noticed that she was, she was sad. She wasn't in a good place. Like she wasn't like, hey, Lady Gaga. She was like, there was something going on with her. And the guy that I was sitting with was like, you know, so tell us about your new album. And I said, hang on a minute. Are you okay? That's nice. Are you okay? You, you don't seem, I don't know you, but you don't seem like the you I've seen. And she said, I'm glad you asked. I found out this morning that a friend of mine died of cancer. Aww. And it's a good friend of mine. And I said, let's talk about her. Let's forget about your new album. Forget about your documentary. All the stuff that we were going to talk about. This is what's on your mind right now. You know, and let's talk about it. And that's what we, that's what we talked about. And we ended up having a very real conversation about her friend and what she had done for her. And it led us into a little more personal things. And it wasn't a tactic to get Lady Gaga to open up to me. Sure. You know what I mean? It just was, it's something that women do that men don't, you know, because the guy I was sitting next to, he would have never asked her that. He didn't even realize. Afterwards, he said, I can't believe you could tell that something was going on with her. And I was like, I can't believe you didn't think anything was going on with her. Right, right. <laughs> like, you can, just, you can just feel the heaviness when you're, and this is why when you do an interview, especially with a celebrity, it's yes. much better to do it in person um, yeah. for this very reason. Because, you know, over the phone or over an ISDN line, you can't, you can't see how they're responding. You can only hear their answers. It's hard to really pick it up in their voice. Yeah. But there's 
us. And you can tell there was just a darkness about her that day. And I wasn't going to just let it go because to me, it was the elephant in the room. Right, right. And that was live. You were talking live on the air? It was, no, it was a pre-tape. Oh, yeah, it was. We went. In, we went to her studio actually, mm. and she was filming the documentary Five Two. I think it was. Yes. Um, so she was filming the documentary. So she had camera crews all over the place, and we we went to them. Um, a lot of times, uh, artists do that. They don't come to the radio station. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. It depends on who the artist is and what the what the plan is. But a lot of a lot of times, I would say most of the time, they stay in like a specific place and you go to them and you just see all the radio, all the major radio people that you've worked with for years, you've known for years, Mm. you know, in New York city, going to Nick Jonas, going to, you know, Miley Cyrus. Interesting. Interesting. And I'm sure it's the way you delivered the message as well, you know, that she felt comfortable speaking about it or else she would say, I really don't want to talk about it. Right. (laughs) Right. She, She could have said, you know what, I had something personal happen today and I'm sorry that it's lagging into our interview, but I'm good. Let's go. Like she could have sure. said that, sure. but she, you know, she chose, look, she's very real. That's yeah. how you can tell who the real celebrities are. She's just, she's a very real person who happened to become famous. Right. You know, as opposed to like a reality star that like, can't wait to be famous, you know? She's, right. Yeah. That's, I think that's what's so appealing about people like Lady Gaga and Pink and Miley Cyrus is that yeah. they're very real people and that's, people can relate to them, not just because their music is good because they're, they're human beings. Right. How did, did you ever have a, a bad um, a contact with a celebrity? Like oh, a, a many. Bad experience? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. So I had two really bad ones. Um, the worst was, and this was so disappointing, um, we were doing this whole thing where we started to interview actors, not just musicians. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And, and this is like why I may never do that again. So um, one time we had, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, he was in all those 80s and 90s movies, uh, Say Anything. Oh, John Cusack? Uh, John Cusack. Oh, Thank don't you very tell much. me anything bad about John Cusack. I'm sorry. We interviewed John Cusack and he, oh, that guy. It's, like, it's, it's like we had just woken him up and he was like, we'd ask him a question. He'd go, mm, I, um, yeah, I think, um, wow. Well, we, um, yeah. We were like, John, you okay? You wait, you want some coffee? Should we let you? I mean, it was just, it was so rude. It was like, you know what? If it's not a convenient time for you, just say that instead of like yawning and acting bored. You know, sorry, I was on a national radio show with 180 stations and he was promoting a movie that nobody was going to go see. So it's like, I'm helping you here. You know what I mean? Like, so that I thought was incredibly rude. And then um, the other person that was horrible was Maggie Gyllenhaal. She was <laughs> terrible. Oh my God. She was like, she gave one word answers. She had an attitude the whole time. She was really nasty. And again, like I can't, I, I have to always acknowledge the elephant in the room. Finally, I said, hang on a minute. I'm not going to ask you another question. Are you in a bad mood? Do we catch you in a bad day? I, I mean, love it. And, it was, and it was at a press junket. It wasn't like she was doing something personal just from my station. You know, it was at a press junket. And she goes, oh, I just hate these. I just hate sitting here and being asked the same questions over and over. And I said, well, um, you could also be in a different industry. You could also not sure. do movies. I mean, this is part of your job. You, you do realize that the press, doing press for the movie that you just did is part of the job. It's not just right. doing the movie. And, you know, you might want to be nice to people who are, who are taking their time to sit here to help you promote your movie. That's right. Like, 
and I just was like, you know what? I, I'm obviously not going to get more than a yes or no answer out of you. So I left. Wow. You left? I left. I, love I said, it. I said, this isn't good. I said, there's nothing here that I can air. I said, good luck with your movie. And I just, I took my mic off and I got up and I left. I love it so much. You are so confident. I don't need Maggie Gyllenhaal. <laughs> you know, my audience doesn't care about Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like they don't even, I had to first, I got to first explain who she is. Right. I want to show this clip with, um, I, I saw this yesterday on YouTube. You were doing a junket with uh, Meryl Streep and Rick uh, Springfield for Ricky Flash. Ricky Flash? Yes. Oh, my God. That was such a I got to tell you, I know people didn't like that movie. I loved it. I thought it was so fun. Oh, my God. I, I saw this junket. I saw the interview that you did. Let's take a look at it. For me, the crux of the movie was really the line when Ricky says Mick Jagger, the whole thing with Mick Jagger having seven kids by four women and it's perfectly okay and that there's this double standard for men and women that still exists so why do you think that is <laughs> answer the questions of the universe because men are still in charge <laughs> boom how crazy is that that you, you look so confident did you you think you took her by surprise with your your confidence and just your question and i like the way i like the way rick springfield answered i mean and it's true yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I always try to ask a provocative question or I, you know, I, I put myself in the mind of where they are. They're getting asked the same questions over and over. Yes. It's Meryl Streep, who's done a million interviews at this point, you know, and she had to sit there with the likes of me, some nobody, you know, so I wanted to just try to, you know, I like to give them an opportunity to, I don't know, just to hear a different question, to, I love to it. give a different answer, to get a different perspective. I. I try and make it interesting for my audience. You know, I always put my mind, myself in the mind of the audience. It's yeah. always about the viewer. It's yes. always about the listener. So do they want to hear me ask the same question the other 20 people just asked? No. So I like the opportunity and I'll always take an opportunity to ask like the, the little extra, the alternative question, the thing that somebody wasn't thinking, yeah. because I think the, the viewers and the listeners, they, they like that. They prefer it. They'd rather hear something interesting. I don't want to be boring. That's right. That's right. That's what's so good about you. She and was a good sport. I loved her. I love her. She's a beautiful woman. I saw her yeah. in a film uh, back in the 70s. She has a beautiful yeah. daughter too. Who looks yeah. Oh, just yeah. Like yeah. Her. Uh, Mamie Gummer. Yeah. I love, yes. I, love the, I love the Gummer girls. Yeah. They're, they're all terrific. Beautiful woman. You could tell she's a nice family woman too. And I think they live in Connecticut. I want to say they live in Connecticut, but anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's married. <laughs> you know, and even that, she's married to a regular guy. Yeah. You know, she's a regular life. She happens to be Meryl Streep and what she happens to do for a living. And I think that's what's really so interesting about her is that she doesn't live that typical Hollywood life. That's you know? right. That's right. And you met Pink as well, who's uh, one of your faves. You said she's very down to her. Tell us more about her, please. She's a powerhouse. I mean, I met her for the first time at Z100. And then I met her again when I was at PLJ. And yeah. every time I meet her, I'm just in awe of her strength. Because, you know, if you think about it, Pink is somebody who came from nothing. I mean, I think her her parents, her parents were not in the industry at all. Yeah. She, she found that she had this talent. She started writing songs at the age of 11. She went up on stage when she was 14 years old in Philadelphia. And because she was so talented, somebody said to L.A. Reid, you got to check out this kid. She's amazing. And he was like, yeah, she's amazing. And that was, that was her first mentor. You know, that was the person wow. that helped her. And I remember when she was first doing Misunderstood and she came to Z100 and they dragged her around. And, and I just thought the minute I met her, I thought this is not somebody who's like, 
a pop star looking for some, hi, you know, it wasn't that at all. You can feel the power. Yeah. Yeah. She was a tough cookie and she had a message and she was a feminist from the very beginning and she was not going to take any crap from anybody. And I just thought not only is she a really good musician, like incredibly unique and talented, but I think she's a really powerful force and a great role model. You know, at Z100, remember, most of our audience were young girls. Yeah. So I, I liked to embrace somebody who is a good role model rather than somebody who just is like, look at my breasts, I can sing, you know, which was a lot of what was pop music in the 90s and the 2000s when I was at Z100. Right, so right. I really thought Pink was very, very uh, unusual and, and different. And I mean, right from the very beginning. So by the time I was a PLJ, it was years later, she was already a huge star. And she it was already like an advocate for so many causes and women. And, and she just, ah, she's just so strong and so powerful. It's just, I love her so much. I just, I think that she's one of those few people who, you know, became what she became because she, she earned it, not That's because right. somebody handed her a career. That's right. And she's not really into politics. I don't see her online and, and giving her opinion. No, nah, once in a while she will. Once in a once while, in a while. She, yeah. Like, yeah, like she doesn't like you know if there's a big injustice or something. But yeah, she's not she's not hugely political. Yeah, she's dealing with her. She just got over COVID. I think her and her son. That's right. And that that was a very scary experience. I saw one of her interviews. But I want to get into your book. Um, please name it for us. Oh, Celebritocracy. And this is your number seven book. Is that right? Yeah, it's my seventh book, wow. and uh, it's the one I'm the most proud of because I, I researched it the most, and the stories in it are just, you know, it's all facts. It's all out there. It's just stuff that people just don't know about. The idea of the book is like all the times that celebrities tried to help the world, and it didn't go so well, you know, or, it's, you know, we're, so, we're such a culture that we read a headline, and we don't bother to research further. So, you know, hey, the celebrity did something great, and you go, yeah, they did something great. That's awesome. Then you move on. But you don't know, where did it go? What happened next? So this is the book that kind of examines what happened after. So you heard about Oprah, you know, building houses after Katrina, but you don't know what happened to those houses and those people. You know, Live Aid raised $127 million, but where'd that money really go? So this book investigates all of that and finds some pretty shocking answers. And the same thing with Brad Pitt here. He, um, what happened afterward? Can, can you give us a little slip? Oh, yeah, sure. So the Brad Pitt thing is really fascinating. So Brad Pitt always had an affinity for the Ninth Ward in, in uh, New Orleans. Yes. Because, you know, he made a lot of movies there and he just really loves it. And it just, it, it, it's near and dear to his heart. So after uh, Katrina, he vowed to build houses there. And he vowed to build, I think it was something like 150 houses. They only ended up building about maybe 70 And they were doing something called cradle to cradle building, which is like organic building. They were using wood that was organic. And if you think about like an organic apple versus an apple with pesticides, the organic apple rots pretty fast if you don't get to it and eat it, right? So that's what happened with these cradle to cradle houses is they started literally rotting and crumbling around the people. Like the roofs were caving in, the floors, they were falling through their floors. There was mold and rot. Oh so my God. the organization that Brad Pitt uh, created for this was called the Make It Right Foundation. So all these people ended up suing the Make It Right Foundation because they were getting sick from the mold or, or their houses were falling apart and they didn't have the, the money to repair a roof because it's expensive. Wow. Um, so yeah, as of 2018, um, Brad Pitt had done an interview in 2018 with NBC News mm-hmm. and he told them that he was going to make it right. He was going to 
pay these people and help them because he, he vowed to help them and he still will. Well, here we are in 2020 and these lawsuits are still going on. Wow. A lot of the people say they still haven't been paid and make it right no longer exists anymore. It had to shut its doors because of wow. all the lawsuits. Wow. And I love Brad Pitt, but it kind of shows that you can't, you know, you have to look at a celebrity as a real person. Yeah. For all the good things that he's done, he's not perfect. You know, the hero worship is the problem because you can't imagine that Brad Pitt would do anything wrong. But you know what? He's not a developer. He's an actor. So why do they expect him to know about roofs and buildings? And, you know, it's, he's out of his depths there. Did he pay out of pocket for this, out of his own pocket? Um, I think some of it was out of his pocket. A lot of it was money that he raised, you know, the Make It Right Foundation. Sure. Did a lot of fundraising. So do you, you think know? he did the organic housing because, or the crating because it was cheaper? Or... Um, well, I think, you know, look, he's an organic kind of guy. He likes, okay. to, you know, climate change, that whole thing. So um, I think it was important to him to do what he thought was best for the environment. But again, not a developer, doesn't know about the cradle to cradle stuff exactly. Doesn't, that's not his area of expertise, you know? And I think a lot of times people see a celebrity and they think, ka-ching. You know, that's what happened to Oprah. I mean, the right. Angel Lane that she built in Houston, she got taken advantage of by less than reputable people building those houses. And that's why those houses are, are in shambles. Not right. because Oprah did anything wrong, but because people saw a celebrity and thought, I could take advantage of this. She's got all the money. Um, and the only person that did do it right was John Bon Jovi. And that's because John Bon Jovi Boulevard, which was the houses that he built for the Katrina victims, yeah. he stayed with it. He goes back yes. every year. Took he goes back to see, yep, what do they need? That he, built, just, he just built a new park just recently because there was this one area that was sort of being taken over by gangs. And he was like, mm -mm, that's not going to happen on my watch. And wow. he excavated the whole thing and he put up a park for the kids. And, you know, he's there making sure they have what they need for, for school, the school year. You know, he truly cares. Like, John Bon Jovi is my new hero. Like, mm -hmm. all the research I did on him, it really, it showed that he's, He's a very, he's what celebrities should be looking to if they're going to do anything um, activism wise. And he opened up a soup kitchen in New Jersey near the shore right. mm. for, yeah, and, for what's and, going on with the COVID. Right. And he's there all the time. And it's one of these places where uh, in Red Bank, you can, you can pay what you can pay. And if you can't pay, you can just wait a table or work in the kitchen or whatever you want to do to pay for your meal if you can't afford it. But he gets a lot of people that come in there and they are, they're generous and they pay a hundred dollars a plate because they just, it's a donation. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, and he's always there. He and his wife, they're, they're always there. They're always making sure that the work they're doing is being done to their specifications. So have you ever interviewed him? I haven't. I haven't. I mean, he, he's, sure? he's somebody <laughs> now that I would like kill to interview for that very reason. Yeah. Yeah. We, well, you can get his contact info, but we wanted to get him on the show here, but it, that, you know, I'm nobody. You're, you're somebody. <laughs> no, you know, it has to do with the kind of, you know, I've always been in pop music. That's yeah. the thing. And he, he hasn't really had any pop hits since, since I've been in radio, he hasn't really had any pop hits. So it has to do with, you know, the type of music they're making. If I was in, if I was a, in rock music, I probably would have interviewed him 20 times by now. Right, right, right. Let's talk about uh, Goop. Um, you know, I watched that show with Gwyneth Paltrow. And, uh, oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Tell us about that, please. This, yeah, is so, in, this is in your book. Yeah, so Goop is her website that she um, is, it's basically like, it's her eBay. Like, she's there to sell products. 
you know, and if anyone thinks that she's there to help the world and they don't really know Gwyneth Paltrow because she has all these products on there that she claims could cure all of these diseases and all of these like skin problems and, you know, all these issues. And, you know, so, okay, you're Gwyneth Paltrow. You've won an Oscar. You have a lot of money. If you really have the cures for all of these ailments, why wouldn't you be assembling a medical community? Why wouldn't you let the medical community know that you can actually help people? Why would you be charging us $200 for a little vial of whatever? You know what I mean? If you really have a, a big cure, you're going to make money off of us. You know, it just, it feels like she's the original snake oil salesman, you know, and, and, and everything that she has on there is she doesn't have any actual researchers or doctors. She has people that are like, spiritualists or you know just her little team that says this stuff is really good for you because Gwyneth says so but again she's no expert she's not a doctor she doesn't know any of this stuff um so I just feel like it's one of those let the buyer beware kind of thing you know Mm -hmm. and I just I'm, I'm not a fan of hers for that reason and it's she's she charges a lot of money for something that she expects people to people that don't have the kind of money she has, you know, to pay for. And then, you know, her other thing is she keeps saying like, this is toxic. That's toxic. These have toxins. Well, hang on a minute. We have the FDA and the FDA, their job is to make sure that all those things are not toxic. Right. You know, that's the whole point of the FDA. So you know better than the FDA? Of course you don't. So it's all bullshit. Sorry. Sorry for cursing, but it's okay. It's, It's just, it's all BS, you know, and it's just, in the end, what is she getting out of it? Oh, money. That's right. She's making money off of you. So I feel terrible for the people that are falling for it. And I feel terrible That's for the people terrible. that, you know, are, that she is suckered in. And she's, like I said, she's a snake oil salesman. She's no better than a snake oil salesman. Wow. Yeah. I, I, um, we, uh, handle, we, We've had Cancer Schmancer for Andresher's organization inside of Preferred Health Magazine. I've interviewed her a million times for that. She's, she's amazing. What she's yes. doing is just so important. That's right. And I gave her praise. I interviewed her a few times. We put her on the cover of Preferred Health. And uh, we, we, I've interviewed Peter Mark Jacobson, Susan Holland, who's the executive director for Cancer Schmancer. So I wanted to tell her, thank you so much. For, she did Corona Care for You, which is a little podcast that she did, but she had legit people on. These people right. are doctors and psychologists. And she asked them, crazy questions and uh, of course. Yeah. that's what you're supposed to do. So thank you for telling us about, you know, I mean, we love Gwyneth Paltrow as an actress and she's a, you know, beautiful woman, but when you're not taking responsibility for your celebrity, and that's what I told Fran, I said, yeah, I said, Mr. Usher, thank you so much for what you're doing and helping right. us and, and, you know, telling us what's good and what's not good during this pandemic. But it's more than it's more than that with Gwyneth Paltrow. I mean, she's mm. claiming to have cures for things that people have real ailments, you know, and they go to their doctors and they're not getting the satisfaction that they need. So they turn to Gwyneth Paltrow. Do you know what I mean? And she's she's making money off of them. She's making money off their vulnerability. She's making money off their fear. And she's lying to them. She doesn't have oncologists. She doesn't have actual doctors. She, you know, she has her um, list of experts that are just there to say whatever she wants them to say. And I just, I feel sorry for the people that, um, that she's, that she's taken, you know, the people that have fallen for it. And remember she's an actress, so she's really good at acting like an expert. Please pick up a copy of Celebritocracy on Amazon and at Barnes and Noble. To learn more about Dr. Cooper Lawrence, please head over to cooperlawrence.com. 
It's important that we understand our public figures and their best intentions for us. We invited actor Larry Romano, who was quite open with talking about celebrity politics and a friend to the show, to join the conversation with Dr. Cooper Lawrence. Take a look. So we have Larry Romano joining the conversation. I'm so excited to have these two brilliant minds. Uh, we're going to be talking about celebrity and politics, uh, which goes along with Cooper's book. Um, so Larry Romano is a actor for a very long time. You may know him from The King of Queens, Richie. He played in Donnie Brasco. He's uh, been a long time. Red Line, that's my favorite. Red Line, but... yes. Yeah. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, he was in Lock Up. Lockdown? Lock Up. Lock Up. Okay, and he played with Johnny, with Johnny Depp. So here, these are two wonderful people. I'm so glad that I'm able to have them both on. Uh, Larry, what is your take on actors and their responsibility in uh, in politics? Um, I mean, the only responsibility that they really, I guess, mandatory responsibility would be to vote. You know, pretty much. You know, that's their responsibility. Um, and then as far as whatever, whatever their role would want to be as an American, it's their freedom, whether they're an actor or a plumber or a, a professional athlete or um, a rock and roll star. It's their, it's their choice. You know, we're all Americans and we have the freedom to, um, you know, partake in politics if we want. We have the freedom to eat vanilla ice cream or chocolate ice cream or you know, strawberry ice cream, whatever we want, you know, as long as it's available to us. So if you could, you know, get into Nancy Pelosi's freezer, you could get any flavor you want. But so, but um, apparently I didn't see it, but I heard a lot about it. But yeah, no, it's the, whatever they want it to be, really, Melissa. You know, I just, um, you know, being in Los Angeles and being around a lot of uh, people with talent and then, you know, I like to get my my hands dirty and roll it up and come down there and hang out with the people, you know, um, just think that the, their lifestyles, uh, their life is just not, um, anything, uh, just uh, out of touch is not even the proper words. I mean, their worlds are so much different than the everyday guy who's getting on a subway train to go to, go to work, guy that's, you know, struggling, you know, stuff like that. And then you have essentially, um, you know, people that, you know, when you're on a TV show, you really don't dress yourself, you know, and you have people who dress you, you have people who comb your hair, if you wanted, I'm sure they would brush your teeth. So, um, you know, just, you know, they can have any opinion they want, but their opinion is coming from a place where um, really reality is, especially today's talent, that is not even close to the reality of the lives that most everyday Americans or human beings live. So I want to get your take and Dr. Cooper's take as well. Um, do you think that they have the right to go on social media and talk about politics? I'll give you for I, an example. Sorry. Do, do I believe that? Are you asking well, me? yeah, no, we're going, I'm, I want to get your take and I want to get Dr. Cooper's take, but I would like to give you for an example, Michael Keaton Douglas, he goes on, I follow him on Instagram and he's, he's a diehard Democrat and, you know, he's making fun of Don Jr. and da, 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 you know, and he, he's putting his two cents in and I'm looking at the comments and people are like, stick to playing Batman, you know, like, who are you to tell us how to think and, and who to vote for and all this. So what's your take? We'll, we'll start with Dr. Cooper. 
please. Well, you know, I have the research on my side and here's what's so interesting. I mean, I agree a hundred percent with what Larry said. I mean, obviously they have the right to do whatever they want to. We're all Americans and Americans, that's the beauty of being an American is freedom of speech. It's like the most important thing about, for me, especially as a radio person, like free speech, I'm a hundred percent free speech girl. Um, but, you know, the research shows that um, they don't have any real influence that every time a celebrity comes forward and says, you know, vote for Biden or vote for Trump, right. people, people don't do that. They do what they're going to do. The only influence that celebrities have is when they say vote. People then will, they're more likely to vote if their favorite celebrity reminds them to vote, but they won't vote for the person that the celebrity tells them to vote for, um, which is, I, I think, actually really great news because you would think the opposite is true, but 30 years of research has shown that um, people vote for what's in their best interest, or they vote with their party, but they do not vote because Alyssa Milano told them to, or Scott Bayo told them to. It just doesn't happen. Right. Let's hope it doesn't happen. Larry, what's your take on it? Um, I mean, I she's done 30 years of research, so obviously, you know, I'm going to go with her, what she has to say. <laughs> what, what do I know? You know what I mean? But, um, I, I mean, you know, influence me um, to, to vote a certain way. Is somebody going to influence me to vote a certain way? Um, me personally, a celebrity? I don't, I mean, I don't think so. No, I, of course I, not. I, an issue with my my issue with it all is is that um you know they've been a lot of a lot of celebrities have been uh, able allowed by major media corporations to use their their um, platform um to really do a number on this particular president it's just like i don't even know what they would be talking about if he wasn't president but really basically you're using a media conglomerate a media outlet like an like an abc to to essentially bash the president of the United States every day. And I, I, I don't think that's, I don't think it's working. I think there's going to be um, backlash to it, but I also just think that it's not cool, number one, and it's not fair. It's not fair that a, a major media corporation would allow it to continue the way it's continued. And I think it's like, uh, you know, I turn the channel off as soon as it comes on, whether it's this Kimball guy or the other guy to just bash him. Just the opening monologue every day is just a bash on the president of the United States. And whether you like him or not, he's the president of the United States. And I don't want to I think, turn I think the, the late night talk show guys have always bashed politics. They've always bashed presidents. Well, I, do agree, I do agree with you. They're harder on Trump than, they've, than they ever were on Bush or Obama or Clinton. Uh, although maybe not Clinton, because he gave them a lot of fodder. It was really easy to go after him. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, th but it's, I think for just as many, like Alyssa Milano's there are on Twitter, there's just as many um, James Woods. So I think that there's a balance, at least when Twitter's a small little world, so it's not like it's really has any impact. But um, mm -hmm. I think there definitely is a balance. And I think people don't realize that there's probably more conservatives in Hollywood than you would ever realize. I have a whole chapter in my book about surprising conservatives in Hollywood, like Robert Downey Jr. and Denzel Washington, who you would be like, hey, Hollywood elite. But they're not. They're not the liberal elite. They're actually conservatives. And, um, you, and it's actually, it's a good thing that they're balancing out what's going on in Hollywood. So that way people don't think that it's just one-sided. Right. Well, people do really do think that it is one-sided across the across. The, I know, and it's terrible because it's just it's 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 uh, not always true. Oh, uh, James Wood James Woods isn't really working much lately. I haven't really seen Denzel out there, but um, I've been I've been going on. You know, YouTube is great, so I go on like the old reruns of Johnny Carson, and um, 
you know, he used to have Ronald Reagan on there, which is interesting, and Donald Rick, Don Rickles and those guys, and um, very little politics on those with Johnny Carson. And I mean, it's no holds barred, too. I mean, if we're talking about freedom of speech, I mean, Joan Rivers gets on there, and boy, she goes, you know. And today, if you were to say the things that Rickles was saying or um, Joan Rivers was saying, I mean, you're done. You're canceled. No, actually, you know? I worked. I worked with Joan Rivers for two yeah. years at WOR, and she did. Cons- right. She did conservative talk for two years, and she's very conservative. She um, is, yeah. And she, I understand. And, and that. I'm telling you, and it was it was one of the top rated shows because not only was she funny, but she was finally speaking out in a way that people didn't think Hollywood people spoke out, and it was against liberals, against Democrats, and for right. Republicans and conservatives. So they were actually like happy to hear that Hollywood wasn't a cliche and she you know and she was the reason I, I loved working with her for that reason she's great I've spent many hours during the uh, quarantine watching her reruns on all different shows you know but they never they, but it wasn't like Carson never came out and did an opening monologue on the president you know right. you don't that you know you don't catch Carson standing there just bashing the president of the United States they might dabble in it and Reagan was a guest of theirs a few times and, uh, you know, I just watched one with Don Rickles talking about it. But it was a different flavor. Um, Why do you think also, that is? Like, what do you, th- what do you think's changed? Like, what, what's, what's well, different I think from then those, to now? Those, well, I think the people, Don Rickles, you know, you're looking at these people of that generation, you know, they lived in America where they, you know, they fought through the Great Depression, fought through World War II. So, um, you know, I guess they had a certain kind of, what, what you would say is uh, ownership, a stake in America, in the pride of America, because they fought to, you know, they fought for it. You know, they had they more respect. More That's respect. A very good point. Yeah, yeah, you know, you look at war. You know, these guys were war heroes, and you know, and you know, I've been cast with a few things in Los Angeles, and you have kids that are coming in because their dad knows the agent, or this guy knows the agent, and this guy knows this one. It's a, it wasn't like they cut their teeth, you know on Omaha Beach, you know, like these other guys. So I think that the, the um, you know, the, the, the background of the characters, the lives that, of the characters have changed, mm. you know. Um, yeah, uh, definitely. And I would absolutely say, I, I mean, I don't, I can't say much about Kimmel or these other shows because I really can't stomach them. I just don't even want to look at them no more. When I pass Jimmy Kimmel's place in Hollywood, you see all these homeless people outside you know, and it's ridiculous. It's just, you know, I'm like, wow, you know, but, uh, and, and all he does is talk about President Trump and you've got, obviously he has the resources, not that he has to write the check himself, but he's got resources to go to the mayor of Los Angeles and say, hey man, you know, I got this great show. I'm making a great living here in this city. Could we uh, help out these homeless people here? You know, living in tents in front of my studio. Um, but yeah, so I mean, the difference between Johnny, I guess you'd have to go on do a bio, read the biographies of the differences between Johnny Carson growing up in Nebraska and Jimmy Kimmel growing up in the life he right. did, you know, and then you go from there and then you just do, you know, my background, I didn't fight in World War II, I didn't do any of that stuff, you know, so I mean, I can't say that I did. Why um, do you think um, a lot of rappers turn their, get their backs against um, Trump? They used to put him in the lyrics and now he's just like, why, you know, to keep sales up. I mean, you know, that's, that's the problem with what's going on with celebrity and politics right now. Everybody's so divided. 
Yeah, I don't know why, you know, they, uh, they just came out at this guy with two guns firing from Jump Street. And that's just basically the way it comes down to it, man. So it gets to the point where it's like almost now it's like crying wolf. Well, you know, no, I, think, I, think, I think it's because they really see him as a racist and most rappers are African-American. Mm. So I think, I think they don't want to, um, you know, I mean, race is always a big part of rap music. It's always a big part of the culture. It always has been. So I think right now they're just, you know, they're, they're on the side of Black Lives Matter. And I think they know what it's like to go out in the world and be followed around because of the color of their skin and be treated differently. You hear stories all the time of famous rappers who have gotten pulled over. Dave Chappelle talks about this. Dave freaking Chappelle got pulled over by a cop and for no reason. And then when the cop realized it was Dave Chappelle, he's like, oh, sorry, man. And then- Yeah, it happened to me in Indiana last year too. I got profiled because I had California plates and they thought I was moving pot across state lines. So I got profiled. <laughs> oh my God, right. really? You know, right, That's yeah. And crazy. I got pulled- Right, and, you know, and I got pulled out of the car. And if it was Victor Williams from the King of Queens, him being a black guy, there's probably a big, better chance that he was doing, he was kissing the pavement. Yeah, right. that's probably, you know, but- you know, I just don't find it uh, mathematically possible to um, to blame three years of President Trump on all these years of black people getting pulled over and killed. And, you know, I mean, President Trump wasn't president when Michael Brown or Eric Garner were murdered. That's true. You're so, right. So, I mean, we'll go from there. And he wasn't a racist until he ran for president. So, like common sense. You sit there and you go, wow, they started really heaving hoeing at this guy where, you know, Five years ago, he was a friend to all of them. They would have loved to have him write a check to finance their project, to finance their movie. He's well, he video. did. He did for some of the videos, and they actually put him in the lyrics, <laughs> stating, you know, having Donald Trump money. And I, you know. I don't see. I can't. Like in other words, like it's, it's got. To, I mean, not to keep going on the on the whole thing of com. You know, just just you know. I mean, since the beginning, and first he was an anti-Semite, but his his daughter's Jewish. Right. You know. And, now he's a racist, but he was never a racist before he ran for president. And I mean, I, I look at all different kinds of channels. I watch the roundtables. This guy, Donald Trump, he gave a bunch of money to a whole bunch of black colleges. And he's done a whole bunch of things. From what I see, you know what I mean? The only guys that are really complaining about him are like rapper dudes. Like the dudes who like the guys that go to school and the, the educators and the business owners and, you know, the people that go and visit prisoners in, in prison, you know, and they talk about the one-step program, all those black people are like, yeah, Trump. They're like, this guy's great. So the only people that really, I mean, the black people that don't like him seem to be rap dudes that sing about bitches, hoes, and tricks, you know? You know what I think is really interesting about Donald Trump? I'm glad you brought him up because um, I think his relationship with Kim Kardashian is fascinating to me. Because if you think about it, she supported Hillary. You know, she's liberal, yet she started working on this whole criminal justice reform thing. And she went to Donald Trump and he was more than happy to sign off. And he actually helped her get people uh, freed from these horrible yeah. Terrible situations they were in, like you know that one woman that was you know, she was found with a couple of joints on yes. her, and she was in prison for twenty six years. And and President Trump, because of Kim Kardashian, pardoned him, 
uh, pardoned her and then signed the, the First Step Act, which is, mm-hmm. if you don't know what that is, it's, it's this act where yeah. when you get out of prison, it's an act where the government then helps you. They help you find a job. They help you find a home. They help you take the first step out of prison into right. a better life rather than becoming something. Um, and I think, you know, and, and my friends that are very liberal, they hate when I bring that up because they don't want to hear anything positive about Donald Trump. But you yeah. know what? I was saying this earlier before you got on. You can't be into hero worship. Everybody isn't all terrible or all great. You know, no. and I, th- I think that's what happens on both sides. People that love Donald Trump are like, he's perfect. And people that hate him are like, he's the devil. But the truth is somewhere in between. He's done some things like sign the First Step Act that is incredibly important. And he, it's, a, it's a completely nonpartisan or bipartisan thing that he did. Um, but then, you know, he has also done things that have angered people. So people are, they're, they're, they're good and they're bad. There's, there's no, we're too into hero worship and we do that with celebrities too much. And that's, that's my big issue with celebrities. Um, yeah. I mean, I was, you know, and I told this to Melissa knows too, quite, you know, from she knows me. It's not that I'm a Trump supporter. Yes, obviously I'm going to support the president of the United States. And to say you don't, it kind of puts you in a little iffy situation there, you know, but... Um, but you guys you know, didn't support Obama, so you can't say, like, support well, the president I, you, regardless you, of who you, it is. I mean, you know, there's I, a lot of people that were say, not supportive yeah. of him. You can't say I didn't support Obama, you know. I mean, I mean, really, in reality, what did Obama do? Did he get the troops out of Afghanistan? No, he didn't. He took the troops out of Iran or Iraq without getting any oil. Yes, what else has Obama done? You know that I would well, either healthcare, the healthcare, <laughs> healthcare. See, that's not, see, that's a double-edged sword because when Obamacare went into effect, my healthcare monthly healthcare went up thirty-four to thirty-four hundred dollars a month. So he really didn't help me with healthcare. He actually killed right. me. He put me in a very bad situation. He helped us poor folks. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I don't know what what else. You know, I mean, we we lived through Michael Fer- Michael uh, Michael Brown. We lived through Eric Gardner. Neither one of those cops right. were prosecuted. And wait a second, you're you're leaving out all the school shootings. I mean, the fact that, you know, um, Newtown, you know, Newtown happened. Shootings, that's that's some heavy duty stuff. We haven't had any of those in a while. Obviously, schools have been closed since February. Right. Well, what, what, tell us about Newtown, Dr. Cooper, with what you're doing. No, well, I mean, we all know about what happened at Newtown. It's a horrible story of 26 little children. Oh, yeah, that was murdered. you know, I mean, we can go back all the way back to personally, like, okay, you know, yeah, um, Ronald Reagan closed the mental facilities. So right. I, I really don't, like, see, that's like another thing about, like, when I watched, you know, I was watching, like, you know, 08, 02, 2012, you watch it, and it's like they're sitting there blaming, uh, blaming the NRA for all these school shootings when the Republican Party was making Ronald Reagan their god. Well, the reason why you have the majority of these school shootings is because Reagan closed these mental health facilities. And these people that really should be in you know, mental health facilities are out there with guns. That's a yeah. big thing right there. And that's just, I mean, we had, everybody had guns growing up. I mean, I don't know how old you are, but people had guns. They just didn't go around you know, clipping, you know, multitudes of people with them, right? You know oh, wait, what I mean? And not just, not just growing up, Larry, when I was, when I was 10, when I was 10 years old, my mother handed me a shotgun. I learned how to shoot a, shoot a shotgun when I was 10. Can you imagine you handing serious? a gun to a 10 year old these days? Yeah. Like somebody, you'd be locked um, up in two seconds. What's so, that about, Dr. <laughs> I mean, you're so right. I, getting your information from, you know, new, you, obviously you, 
you call it for information, right? So you get it from various different sources. You're going to get it from this one, this one over here. A kid might teach you something, you know, a street kid with a sixth, kid, sixth grade education. You know, I said to him one time that the United States military is the greatest military in the world. He says, why? He says, I said, because it's the volunteer military. He says, well, that means that the only people that are going to volunteer are the people who have no other options. And he was very true about that, you know, and it's very true. You know, you have a lot of these uh, minority kids or people that are just coming here to America to become American citizens. People would have very, very few options and they join the military. They throw them on the front lines to become citizens. And we have these wars and trust fund kids who never leave their basement or, you know, live off of daddy's wages. They benefit from it. So you learn it from different, point. You, yeah. you, get, you know, you get your information from different places, you know, and. Uh, talking about your mom giving you a shotgun when you're 10, you know, you're a woman, Melissa's a woman, she's in Brooklyn, things are camping up over there. Um, I wish I could you know, get a license. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, a trained license, you know, obviously, but, you know, what um, What Sammy the Bull says is, is in his interview is that, you know, a guy, he's looking at a woman, she's in her house, he knows that she doesn't have a gun, there's no chance of her having a gun, he breaks in the door, she calls 911, but the woman's, she's left open, in other words. So, you know, as, you know, my girlfriend and my woman, the woman in my life, I want her to be able to protect herself. Right. I want her to be able to handle a handgun. I want to know that I could go, you know, out of town, and she's got her dog that's going to bark, and, you know, and she's got her handgun that she's able to protect herself with and she knows how to use it. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, there are a lot of people that shouldn't have access to firearms, but, you know, there are a lot of sane women out there who would responsibly handle a firearm and be able to protect themselves. I don't know what the stats would say. I mean, I haven't done any research, but I would bet that, you know, you know, guys would have to think twice about who they would attempt to rape if women were able to carry guns. That's right. I, I think that women should be allowed guns for that very reason, because women are more vulnerable. I mean, yeah. in every situation. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think that there should be some like law passed that men have to like do whatever you have to do to get a gun, like pass all kinds of, but women just give them guns. Like just literally have no, a day that women can no, no. show up and, and no, prove, I, no, prove, no. prove that, prove that no. they're not insane. And then just, you know, give <laughs> <laughs> Which one do you like? Would you like the pink one? Or would you like the periwinkle one? Or Mine's got a cute little pearl handle. It's adorable. There you go. <laughs> but, uh, you know, to train, you know, train the women, give them access to training. I also, as far right. as, as part of their, phys as their education, young women, uh, I think that everybody, first of all, the phys ed situation in the public education system sucks. That's why we got a bunch of obese kids coming around. But, you know, these, for every reason whatsoever, the kid can't participate. But um, men with daughters, they should definitely enroll their daughters in martial arts classes. Yeah, I agree. Mandatory. I agree. Mandatory. Girls need to protect themselves, man. You know, you see what right. goes on when you're in a room full of politicians. You never know who's going to touch them. You're right. <laughs> you didn't like uh, no, I'll be right. Exactly. You get, get in a room with politicians. You could get it from both both aisles. I see the aisles. You know what I mean? Not just politicians. You know, that's one of those things. Every All woman right. has a story. Every woman has a story. Believe right. me, every woman has right. a story. And guys got them too. Believe me, guys All got right, them that's too. That's true. You know? Yeah. This guy was telling me he's an agent. He's an NFL agent. Got a young NFL guy on his team. They went out. They got some girls. They brought them back to the place. Girl stayed the night. Whatever, whatever. And next day, she left. 
short time after the cops showed up claiming that uh, the girl was saying that the NFL kid raped her. <laughs> he is a young fella, you know, African-American guy, and the cops had asked, and this white girl says you raped her. And the agent says, well, I got cameras. Let's see what happened. You know, so now what happens to that girl for making that false claim? She should be locked up. Right. Because if it wasn't cameras, then this guy is going to be guilty and he's, he's going to be accused, accused, his career is ruined, his life, right. his dream, everything he worked for because this woman said something, you know. Um, I thought they give those guys, I thought like once you join the NFL and the NBA, I thought you'd go through like a whole training program to like stay away from the thoughts, you know, stay away from well, those picks. I mean, I don't think, you know, look, you know, like we, we had a conversation with a high school buddy of mine back before everybody used to fix their dogs. Right. Right. You'd see a dog, like the dog that was, you know, your best friend would always come when you call along as you give him a bone. You could be staying out there with a T-bone steak. If that dog knew that there was a female in heat down the road, he's going. He's mm. crossing rivers. He's crossing lakes. He's going. And there's nothing right. that can stop him. That's a good point. And, right. you, know, <laughs> I, you know, you can stay many, many dogs, but, you know, you get his, you know, they give them all the lessons they want, but in the real world, some, some hottie's going to show up. Yeah, that's a very good point. Right, you know, and they're young. I mean, they're young and they're excited about their lives. They have a lot of money and they have opportunity and they're not yeah. going to say, well, I did take that class. You know, you're right. Right. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it's just, you, you, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't fight human nature in that. You know, what do right. you do with the guy? And you can imagine these guys, they're athletes, they got raging hormones. They're going, oh, they got, it's almost like you have to, I don't know. I, I was, what was I saying to somebody? You could always tell the guy who's leaning on his horn at the red light. You know, the guy, like, as soon as the light turns green, he's rah, leaning on his horn. He's all amped up. He's rah. He's like, that's the guy that's not getting none. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's just right. not getting none, bro. He's angry you know at I mean? the world. He's, just, he's pissed off. You know what I mean? If he had just got some, he's like, oh, the light turned green. Oh, what a beautiful <laughs> state of green that is. What kind of shade of green is that? Isn't it lovely? <laughs> oh, look, another light. This one's red. Let me stop. Oh, okay, I'll be a little bit late. All because of why. You know what I mean? His testosterone level just got lowered, I guess. Let's, um, let's discuss the celebrities who do good. Uh, John Stewart. Uh, he's, uh, Cooper mentions him in her book. Tell us what's going on with John Stewart and why. I'd like to do more. I know I've been out of the game a little bit, but I'd like to do more. But go ahead. I'm here. Do more of what? Do more of like really reality of whatever I can. You know, I've been raising money for Gateway to Hope with the cameos. It helps the women who have breast cancer. We've been slow because of that. We're going to have screenings of movies that we could, you know, bring the actors and, you know, have well, dinner. Don't you have a don't you have a hard time because you are a Republican? I mean, uh, Cooper, he's been, uh, you know, amongst the best well, of the best. And now that you know, shouldn't matter if you're raising money for cancer or if you're raising well, money for, you no, know, that I mean, doesn't have nothing to do with it. No, really. Not. The, the, no, but become, the politics. Uh, like, it's on the set, on the set stuff that, I've, that, have, that has been done uh, during that, that I had a, just witness, I would say, witness during the 2000 count-off between Bush and Gore. But, um, I, you know... But you get Bush, ostracized for your political... Yeah, views, political so. discrimination. I mean, actors that I've worked with just telling me very nasty things on Facebook, very rude, and people saying, lose my information because you're a Trump supporter. 
And I'm not even posting anything that's supporting Trump. It's just, you know, you know, even that song Divide and Conquer, it doesn't say anything about Trump. And the woman's accusing Melissa of being a Trump supporter because I gave her a thank you in the video because she introduced me to the guy who produced the video. And now Melissa can't get a dog and give a beautiful dog a home because some, somebody misconstrued <laughs> my video being a Trump pro-Trump thing. And it's not. But, you know, I'm just, you know, not to, get, to stay on the subject of doing things for, you know, people that need things done. There's a lot of people right now that are starving. It's been a tough time. You know, it's been affected everybody differently. But, yes, we're raising the money for breast cancer. Uh, well, let's get, well, yeah, and I... Yeah, I'm going to put Gateway to Hope up uh, afterward, um, but I want to get uh, Dr. Cooper's view. How do you handle people like that on social media when you're just trying to post an opinion, which we have the right to? How, how do you handle this, Dr. Cooper? Unfollow. It's not worth the conversation because people are just looking for a fight. They're not looking for a real conversation. What's really right. interesting about this is, you know, you can never, you'll never be able to convince somebody who supports Biden to not support Biden. You won't, you won't convince somebody who supports Trump to not support Trump. And the main reason is because you'll love this. Um, so the part of your brain that makes decisions like that is right next to the part of the brain that's in charge of fight or flight. So as soon as you chat, challenge anyone's thoughts, like anyone's deeply held beliefs. It's mm. almost like, you know, trying to convince somebody who's gay to be straight. Like it, it's, it's the part of the brain that immediately kicks off the fight or flight. So it's not, um, hmm, let me hear your conversation. It, it's, it's from zero to 60 where you're like, no, screw it. I can't hear this anymore. Shut the heck up. And it's just, the person goes into a place where they're just not going to hear logic and they're not going to hear anything. So you have to just completely disengage because you're not going to have an intellectual conversation. You're not going to have a real conversation. And it is just somebody who's looking for a fight and just looking to be negative and nasty. And I think, you know, speaking to cancer, um, negativity like that is, is so damaging. It's so damaging to your health and staying away from as many negative people as possible. I, I have unfollowed and unfriended so many people on social media just over the past couple of years because yeah. they just want to argue. They just want to be negative. And I just, I don't have time for that in my life. It's like, life's too short. I want to enjoy it. I want to be around people who are positive and who are helping mm -hmm. the world, regardless of who they vote for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. it's crazy. You get messages from people you know for over 20 years saying, lose my information if you're a Trump supporter. Exactly. It's so, it's so kinda, wrong. It's, it's their it's, loss, it's, you know? Just, you know what? It kind of, but you sit there and you go, wow, what kind of world is the future going to, what, what kind of future world are we going to live in if that's the case? You know, that's the thing. Somebody, somebody's gonna stop I me. Mean, you, you, you seem like a very nice, loving person. I love your views on women, and, and they should protect themselves. I love what a feminist you are, like that. You know, somebody doesn't get to have you in their life because of who you're choosing to vote for. Doesn't that seem like a real loss and such such a stupid reason to end a friendship? It just it makes me sad of all the people who are losing family members and friends over something like that. You know what I you know what I get to a lot, you guys? I post stuff about the NYPD. For those who don't know, I was gonna go into the NYPD. I've studied, I have a criminal justice degree. And wow. I get people who <laughs> they laugh at my when I support the NYPD. Okay, so you know what? When you're on the floor and somebody's trying to kill you, who are you gonna call? Right. 
going to call. You're going to laugh at me for supporting the NYPD. Get the hell out of here. I don't have time for that. And the flip side of it all, Cooper, right. is that, like, I definitely, you know, I definitely support the police, especially in what they're going through right now. Yeah. You know, I've had so, I've had quite a few incidents with the police where they just did not act properly. And, sure. Oh, and another thing that we're not even talking about in the media what the media is not talking about. It's not just the police. It's like once the, you know, the reason for resisting arrest, if you've ever been arrested before, is that once you are in those handcuffs, once you get into that system, you're in. And next thing you know, you're going to court. And when you get to court, you don't, you talk about stress. You don't know what the prosecutor, what the judge, you don't know what anybody's going to say. And you got, you know, a cop who's going to make up a story He's going to say this, he's going to say that. And next thing you know, so I totally understand when I see a guy, you know, the cops are looking to cuff him up and you sit there and you go, man, the last thing I want to do is cuffed up, man. Because once you get in those handcuffs, you could be innocent. But in today's world also too, it seems as if in today's world, you're guilty until proven innocent. That's right. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just tough, man. And, you know, the cops are not all right, man. You know, Melissa knows once again, I don't want to see cops getting pelted with bricks or water bottles or stuff like that. The question that, excuse me, came to my mind most recently is that the cops are being made to step down from people who are pelting them with bricks and stones. Step back, right? And they got to take a beating from these people who hate them and throwing bricks and stones at them. And at the same time, the politicians are making the police go out there and arrest somebody like Melissa who may support the police because she don't have a mask on. They're sending out there the police to that guy in New Jersey who's looking to open his gym, his business is going down, his life investments, and the cops are looking there to go close him down. So now what the cops are being put into a situation or they're allowing themselves to be put into the situation is they're allowing themselves to be in a situation where they're taking brick fire and object uh, projectiles from the people who hate them and at the same time, they're really essentially abusing those who the rights of the people who support them. Right. So at what point in time do the police say enough is enough? You're the governor, you're the mayor, but listen, no. You're making us go out and arrest our cousins, our sisters. Of the woman in the subway, imagine that woman in the subway train before the riot started. The woman in the subway train in New York, she's got her kids. She ain't got a mask. They got four cops throwing on the ground and arresting for not wearing a mask. Meanwhile, you got people burning down Fifth Avenue and the mayor says, let them go. Well, our mayor sucks. I mean, oh, you can't, well, you can't I mean, de Blas, no, but no one likes de Blasio. The yeah. liberals hate him and the conservatives, everyone, nobody likes de Blasio. So he's not a good example. He, you know, yeah, he's, yeah. <laughs> it's not like literally nobody <laughs> likes right. him. Right. It's happening in other cities as well. Chicago, obviously. I don't understand. I'm, I'm only laughing right now because it's, I'm, I'm out here and I listen to de Blasio talk sometimes and he is a very smooth talker. If I listen to Cuomo talk, I listen to a couple, couple of, you know, couple syllables and I have to turn it. But like de Blasio, I could actually sit there like he gave it to Sean Hannity one time and I was just like, wow, he's doing pretty good. They were talking about school, um, school uh, lunch, school lunches, no meat Mondays. And, oh, I remember you know, that. Yeah, I, I heard that. Yeah. yeah. 
And, and, you know, and Sean was giving them, oh, I grew up in a candy shop and I did this. And then de Blasio was saying, but Sean, we have such an obesity problem in our country. I mean, how could you say that? And, you know, and I was like, you know, I like you say, you, I don't agree with the guy 100 percent, but I'm agreeing with him on school lunch. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I he, go, he, goes, he goes with the wind blows. He has he has no backbone whatsoever. Right. It's like, yeah. One day, one day he's supporting the police. The next day he's like, we have to defund the police. It's like, wait, just five minutes ago, you would like support the police. So which right. is it? Yeah. So I it's mean, like, I mean, know, who, whoever, it. whoever spoke to him last, that's how he feels. Well, that's interesting now that I know that, you know, that's, <laughs> yeah, now that I know that. But he is. Um, but we took that conversation because I have a cousin who's born again. He reads the Bible, does the Bible studies. Right. And I thought that that was brilliant that he wants to make it so the kids have healthy food in school. I, I said, that's crazy. You know, the kids they eat, you know, and my cousin was like, well, I think that's wrong. We live in America. A kid should be able to choose what kind of food he eats. If the kid wants to have a Big Mac, the kid should be able to have a Big Mac. I said, yeah, but, you know, because these 13, 14-year-old kids, they really don't know what's good for them. Well, but still, if they want to eat a Big Mac, they eat a Big Mac. That's just so, so you believe that they should be able to make up their own minds and choose about their own health issues? Of course, yeah, 14 years old. I said, okay, Mr. Bible reader, then they should also be able to make up their own mind if they're a boy or a girl, right? My daughter's actually, one of my, my oldest had a conversation with me that my kids are older, they're grown. And I used to get a lot of heat from people because I would not allow soda in my house. And I would make my kids eat very healthy. I worked for Sony for a lot of years. I would get PlayStations every year and I would never bring them home because I didn't want them to play video games, you know? And years later, there's people who used to say nasty things about me because I was so strict with their diet. They say that they wish they were just as strict with their children's diets because now their children are grown. They're all overweight. They're all out of shape. They're all lazy. So on and so forth. Or they have forth. diabetes or they have mm-hmm. health issues way, way earlier than they should. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. And, um, you know, I like you, Larry. Th- this is so nice meeting you and talking to you. I, la- nice I love the way you too. do. <laughs> me too. Nice. Well, thank you, Melissa, for introducing <laughs> us. It was a great idea to have us. I said to Melissa, I'm like, because I'm renovating a house right now. So I got a whole bunch of stuff going on. I'm like, well, Melissa, what are we doing today? Why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about John Stewart, and you talk about Bob Barker as well. Tell us about their goodness. Yeah. So uh, when you look at all the celebrities who have done, who have tried to do good things, it's always because they had like a bad PR moment, and they're just trying to do mea culpa, or you know, it's a tax write-off or something like that. There's very few celebrities that do things because they truly do care. And in my world, there's only been three celebrities that actually truly care. Bob Barker, spay and neuter your pets because he's not a dog. So what does he care? You know, it's, it's something he truly cares about. Right. Kim Kardashian and criminal justice reform because why would she care about that? And she got Donald Trump to sign something that was very important legislation to help that. Again, she's got no dog in that fight. And then finally, John Stewart, who was off the air by then. It's not about PR. It's not about promoting his show. He truly stepped up for the 9-11 Commission, and he did the right thing. And he made sure that people that should be cared for by something that was promised to them were cared for. 
and and he he stumped for them and he didn't have to but he used his celebrity for good in that instance and in my world those are the only three i can think of well steve buscemi as well he was actually at 9-11 he used to be in fdny and he was at 9-11 he didn't want to take any interviews he didn't want any photos do not do anything for me i am here to help these people so thank you so much for, for uh, mentioning these amazing people. I'm going to get into next because I know the both of you are animal advocates. Um, so, uh, you know, Larry has, he had two German shepherds. Now one just passed away, but he is totally, Sorry. yeah, he's, he's, a, he's so upset. He's still There's upset. nothing more heartbreaking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got my other guy here. He's all upset. You know, it's been a while, but, you know, they were, we, were, we were a fun trio. Yeah. We drove across together the three of us it was mm. it was great man you know and it's i gotta tell you you know like it's easy to have two dogs than it is to have one because they keep each other occupied you know that's right and but, cooper has a 96 uh, pound marconi he's a therapy animal yeah therapy. so we visited hospital children's hospitals and um, he's part of a reading program where kids that are afraid to they're, not, they're illiterate or they're afraid to read out loud in school they come and they practice reading they read to the dog who's not going to judge them oh. And I've, cool. I've been doing this, I've been doing it for 10 years and I've seen, you know, kids from when they're four years old to, you know, now they're 14 years old and they're like, I learned how to read with your dog and, and they've gone on to, to great wow, things in yeah. school. And it's, it's just yeah. so, it's so wonderful. And, and I mean, dogs do things for human, for human beings that go beyond anything that you can possibly imagine. That's very important. Teaching these kids to read is really important. And I, I had a conversation with a guy, a politician from New York, he was talking about the, pro the problems with a lot of these kids. They're dyslexic out the box, you know, and they right. can't, you know. And I, I, going back to the Sammy the Bull interview, he was dyslexic. And yeah. they didn't know, they just thought he was dumb. Obviously, he wasn't dumb. He knew how to maneuver to, to run, you know, what he did. But it's um, fixing that problem is... is definitely needs to be done yeah getting these kids to read that's great well the first the first show that we ever had dr cooper uh larry was on and we had a little boy who goes to the shelters and he reads to the uh dogs he's to the dogs oh, yeah Evan. So i love what so he reads to the dogs and i have kids that come read to my dog i love <laughs> i love that that's so great awesome, right it is cool that is how really old is mark how old is marconi because he's been doing this since 2009 yeah i know he just turned 11 Oh, God bless him. He's yeah. an Italian. What is he? He's an Italian Spinoni. He's in perfect health, great shape. He loves oh, to trot on into the library and sit there with the kids and they all crowd around him and they take turns reading and it's just really beautiful. And um, up until COVID, we were going to the children's ward of NYU hospital, um, joint disease, and we would get, you know, kids who were there and we would just spend one-on-one -on -one time in each kid's hospital room. And some of them, you know, had their had dogs at home that they couldn't see because they were they were in inpatients. So he came and spent time with them and other kids were extremely depressed. And then a, a big flouncy dog walks in and, you know, suddenly you so see a smile cute. on a kid's face and, you know, and they spend time with him. And um, yeah, I mean, he's there to cheer them up and to, to have, to have just a real human experience with them because it's tough when you're a kid in a hospital, it's, it's a scary place to be, yeah. Yeah. but you know, yeah. a big, a big slobbery 96 pound dog comes trouncing in and suddenly you know, you, for a few minutes, you kind of forget where you are. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They're a source of joy. Pure so joy. Larry, tell us what it is to be a pet owner and, and what it does for you personally. And then we'll get to Dr. Cooper. And then we're going to uh, do one more segment and we're good. And what does Tebow do to you um, 
You know, how does he uh, keep you, you know, does I he mean, keep you calm? I, mean, I just, I mean, just looking at him, I just laugh sometimes, you know, I just, I just, you know, and it was really great, obviously, when we had the two of them, they would play, and I would just be entertained by them and watch them, but, you know, really quick, we were driving through the Rocky Mountains, the three of us, and I'm looking, I never, I'd never done it before, and I'm looking at all these mountains going, whoa, wow, whoa, man, look at that, and next thing you know, I got two German Shepherds over my shoulders, and they're both looking Oh, you know, and um, one night I pulled into a hotel, it was one of those hotels out on Long Island where they have like weddings and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I walked to the main lobby and the wedding was over. So like, I guess everybody piled out to the, to the hotel bar where they were continuing their party. And I walked into the lobby into that. Everybody sees me walk in with my two German shepherds and you could tell all the people who had something illicit in their pockets, they kind of like slowly left this way. They thought that the feds were there, the cops were there, you know. <laughs> but, um, I mean, it was cool. I mean, I would, I wish I could relive, it was, you know, sometimes it's not easy. I wish I could relive it again, you know, just driving around America. Yeah. <clears throat> With two German shepherds, it was great, you know, wherever I went and they were friendly, you know, so people would want to take pictures with them and, you know. Of course, beautiful great. animals. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. They Doc, Dr. Cooper, what, what about Marconi? What does he do for you? You know, it's interesting, like the power of animals. You really see it now during COVID. I don't know if you saw, like they're clearing the shelters like crazy because people are home and they're anxious and they're scared and they're, they don't know what's, or they're bored or they, you know, can't see their loved ones. So they're going to the shelters and they're getting pets and they're getting dogs and they're getting cats. And it's really improving their lifestyle. You know, we, we already know that dogs lower your blood pressure and lower your heart rate. So imagine, you know, you're home and you're feeling anxious. You don't know if you're going to work again, you're on unemployment, or maybe you're, you know, in a job that you're just doing from home and it's just stressful. And then you have this like lovely little face and it just takes you out of yourself for a little while, you know, and I find that with Marconi, he's just, he's a very loving, he's, he's, he's a good dog for therapy work because like, if you sneeze, he comes running over because he thinks he's a doctor. So, so you know, he'll, he'll be like, he'll sniff your nose and be like, okay, okay, you're fine. You're fine. You know, you'll, be, you'll be fine. Today is 9-11. We are doing a pre-recording. So please tell us, uh, we'll start with you, Dr. Cooper. Where were you today, 19 um, years ago? I was in New York where I live and I was supposed to go on the air and I got a call from my producer and all I heard in the background was um, one of my coworkers screaming because the studio that we were in used to be in New Jersey, right across from the towers. And I guess she was watching the second tower be hit. And you can just, I just, I remember her absolutely shrieking in the background while the producer called to say to me, um, don't, don't come to work today. I, I don't think we're going to, I think we're just going to go to CNN and let them you know, tell everybody what's happening today. Right. Um, and I was living in the village at the time and I, my cousin was working in the towers and he brought a couple of friends and I remember them coming to my door and they were covered in soot and they were just in complete shock. Uh, they couldn't get home. They didn't, we all didn't really understand what was going on yet. And I just opened my door to my cousin and his coworkers and I let them shower and, and we just, I remember us just sitting on the couch quietly for a minute just taking it all in while the tv was on and then looking out the window and seeing the smoke and just it was so surreal because again like we didn't really understand what was happening yet right so people were still 
in shock. And there I was with people that literally escaped with their lives from the towers and just sitting on my couch in that moment. I just, I, I always go back to that because I still can't believe that that happened in my lifetime, that, that I had that moment with these people who uh, escape with their lives. And then you hear the sirens because, you know, I lived downtown. So everybody, you just heard everyone going towards, it's just so interesting, the kind of people that are born that run away from things and the kind of people that go towards things. And thank God we have enough first responders that are willing to go towards danger and yeah. help the rest of us. And I, I just, I think about them. Um, I think about them all the time anyway, because I live in New York, but I certainly, I especially think about them on a day like today. Yeah. Larry, where were you? California? I was in Los Angeles and, you know, the whole day of, you know, watching it on TV and so on and so forth. But what, what I'll never forget, you know, it was a short time thereafter I went there with dent to the dentist in Beverly Hills and there was this girl there, must have been in her mid-20s, and she was explaining to the dental hygienist how we deserved what we got. And um, that's something that, yeah, that just um, that just said to me, you know, like what, this is the mentality of some of the people that we're dealing with right now. And, you know, I watched the buildings going down, um, had family members that worked in that, those buildings and, and friends that worked in those buildings and thinking like, wow, so-and-so is not getting out. They're not getting out. This one's not going out. And then this kid in Beverly Hills is telling us that, that, that uh, we deserved it. Oof. And, um, yeah, so you're lucky, uh, that, I, you're lucky I wasn't there. I'm from Coney Island. I would have taken that girl out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. You would have wow. got arrested by the cops who we support. And <laughs> <It's> thrown <laughs> <laughs> in jail by a prosecutor. I want to thank you both so much for coming on the show. Yeah, it was really great awesome. talking to you, Cooper. I'm glad Melissa put us together. Yeah, awesome. Larry, me too. It was so nice to meet yeah. you and Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Let's both do something so saving animals. Yeah, let's do something with the animals. I'm totally down, without doubt. Totally. Thank you both so much. Yeah. Have a great day. See y'all. Bye. Bye. Meryl Streep interview provided by She Knows. Photo credit for Dr. Cooper Lawrence is Kimberly Butler. And photo credit for Larry Romano is Andrea Pichard. Thank you so much for watching. If you have a vegan product, make your vegan claim official with the only accredited vegan trademark in the world. Visit www.beveg.com. That's www.beveg.com to apply now. Making a Difference is sponsored by Preferred Health Magazine. Please visit www.preferredhealthmagazine.com today and subscribe.